Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the house this morning. If we have fathers that are guests, it's wonderful to have you in the house today. I'm going to teach today, if that's okay. Can I teach this morning? We're so thankful to have apostolic Christian fathers in the house. Wonderful, wonderful men who've taken the word of God into their hearts and have lived it and breathed it and taught it. And I have a message from the Lord this morning, and I want to share with you today in teaching. If you can go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 6, and then after that we'll go to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 6, says this, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Sounds like pretty much all the time we should be talking about the things of God, and the words of God, and the principles of God. And verse 8 says, And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. In other words, you shouldn't see anything else of the world first before you see the word of God and the principles of God and the creation of God before your eyes. And verse 9 says, And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says this, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You can be seated this morning. Just a month ago or so, I had the privilege and the opportunity to honor the moms on Mother's Day, share with them a word, some encouragement from the Lord. We tend to honor, we honor moms a little bit differently. Why? Well, because they do all the work and have all the heavy labor of, of, of the children and all these different things, and we joke and we laugh a little bit about it. But I talked a little bit about culture and the challenge that we have in culture, being apostolic moms and, and Christian moms raising up the children. But today, I want to bring something a little more weighty because God is a God of order. Do we understand that? God has a structure. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that as we go forward, but would it be fair to say that if the culture outside the church is creating some sort of an ideal or some sort of an instruction or something that is counter to the word of God, we should probably be aware of that. We should should be against that thought, right? Okay, so is it also safe to say then that if we know that the culture is creating some ideas that are counter to the word of God, it's not something that we should just dismiss, but it's something that we should also preach against and encourage one another with in the word, okay, in teaching. And so as I began to pray about and prepare for what to talk to fathers, now I'm an apostolic father, I have been for 25 years, and, um, and, and I know the challenges and the struggles of what it is to be a Christian father and, tr- and train up and teach your children and live by the word of God. And by the way, I, before I forget, every Father's Day I have the opportunity when I'm at this pulpit, I, I do want to extend an honor. I have, there are two men in this congregation, and I've, you've, some of you have heard this before, and you're going to ho-hum. 
but some of you haven't, but there are two men in this congregation who have been very powerfully impactful and have been fathers to me since my time in the church. I came into the church in 1982 as a 12-year-old young man, and in 1983, uh, I got to meet the Matson family, and um, brother and sister Matson have been very, very close to me for 37 or 38 years now going on, and uh, Matt, brother Matson was two years old at the time, and <laughs> no, um, but... Brother Matson took me under his wing as a, as a young preteen who knew nothing and was dealing with some very terrible struggles in life, uh, in my home life, and I didn't have a father present, and, and took me under his wing both as a friend and outside the church and inside the church, taught me a lot of things, kicked me in the tail when I needed it, and has been a tremendous father figure in my life uh, for all these years and continues to be to this day. And so I, I want to give honor today uh, to Brother Cliff Matson, who's in the back over there, who's been a wonderful... Um, role model for me. And the second one, of course, is also one of my great friends in the church and for oh, probably 30 years or so has also been a tremendous influence and a father figure to me and has brought me up in ministry. And of course, that's our bishop, Brother Kylie, and uh, has been close with me and taught me. And, and so what a great fortune to have men who are willing to reach down to the, to the young the young families coming up and, and those like me that needed somebody and to say, hey, I'm, I'm going I'm to invest something in them and, and, and show you what it is to be an apostolic man. And that was tremendously powerful for me and I'm very thankful for that. But we live in a society right now that's changing, it's constantly, I think we can all agree, that it's constantly changing the word of God, constantly altering and, and morphing and doing things that are contrary to the word of God. And sometimes in culture, those things get to be really controversial if, you try to, if you're public about them. And more and more, those things are, are, are sort of being shut down and called hate speech and, and all these terrible things are happening. And I want to tell you today that my, my message to the apostolic fathers is going to be quite a bit different than the one to the apostolic mothers because I'm giving you charge today. I'm giving you charge and God wants to empower you today to understand that today is the day that you have to make a stand. You have to make a stand for what is in the word of God, contrary in verses what is being told to us and taught to us and creeping into our homes and into our churches from out there. The culture is counter to that and I want to talk to you a little bit about today and, and challenge you to take hold of it. I'm thankful for you apostolic fathers that are bringing your families and your children to church and getting them here and instilling the word. But today I want to talk to you about, and I, I mentioned that scripture in chapter 6, and that, uh, excuse me, in Genesis chapter 6, and that leads into the time when God is just completely just distraught over what has happened in creation, and he finds that one righteous man, he finds Noah, and he begins to move upon him to build an ark. And so my message today to you apostolic fathers is simply this. He built an ark. And we need to start building some arks today. And I'm going to talk about that as we go forward. In scripture, some of you may not know, but there's really, truly, four arks. There's not, everybody thinks of Noah's ark is just the one ark. You know, God talked to Noah and said, I'm going to destroy the world with flood. So get all the animals together. Did you ever notice that how in culture, when we're talking about Noah's Ark and the things about Noah's Ark, they really make it about the animals. Do you know how insignificant it, the animal part of the Ark is? I'm drop dead serious. It's completely insignificant. You understand that God could have destroyed the world, wiped out all the wicked people, and planted all of those animals right back on planet Earth. 
It's an extremely insignificant part of that story. And you're going to see why here in just a moment. And so we think about all that stuff, but see, the world loves animals. It's all about the animals right now, right? If anybody knows who Candace Owens is, she just posted on Twitter the other day. She said, boy, shame on me, but I'm just a little bit more concerned about a baby in the womb than a choking turtle. But that's the world that we live in today. So it's all, it's all slowly been just made about the animals. Two by two, the animals come in the ark, blah, 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 etc. And actually, that's not entirely true either because some of the animals were in sevens. And there was, you know, Bill Cosby used to joke about Noah's Ark and talk about how, you know, how do you do it with the mosquitoes, you know, male or female? I, I don't know. But obviously, there were more than just two in, in every species in some cases. But that's what they've made this about. And, and so we kind of get away from the concept of what, what Noah's Ark was really about. And what was happening at that time, God was, God was recognizing that the world was getting exceedingly wicked and his creation was failing him. And, but he finds one righteous man. And, and if you get into what Noah was about and why he was righteous, it's because he kept a relationship with God and he taught it to his children. Remember, he didn't get just to take his wife on there, but he had his three sons and their, and their wives as well and, and got to save his, his creation. So the ark, in every aspect of scripture, the ark represents salvation. It represents salvation in a lot of different ways. Not about whether we saved animals and we were, God was really lovely with animals or Noah was a PETA member or whatever, but... It was about saving his creation. Now, the second ark that you're probably not aware of, or maybe you don't call it an ark, but it's referenced that way, and that is, is when Jochebed had to save Moses. It says that she created an ark out of the bulrushes. And you know what she did? She pitched it and sealed it up just like they did with the ark of Noah's ark. They pitched it up and sealed it all up so it wouldn't leak and everything, and she sent Moses on his way. And that was a form of salvation. Egypt had determined that all the male children under two years old had to be drowned, and, and so... An ark saved Moses, who would be the leader of all of Israel and, and would take them out of Egypt. Okay, and there's, there's oh, so much you can preach about that. Uh, but the third ark was also created through Moses. And of course, we know that ark is the Ark of the Covenant, the one Indiana Jones found. And, and then subsequently lost again, so now we can't, you know, do the sacrifice and all that. It's at a warehouse in Washington, D.C., <clears throat> but once again, that ark, it represented salvation. It represented the presence of God. It represented redemption. It was our model for how blood redeemed sin and so on and so on, okay? So now I'm skipping through some of that because that's not my message today. My message is about the ark. Now there's a fourth ark, and really there's a fifth ark that I'm gonna tell you about as I go forward. So in the world today, Dads, Christian fathers, I mean, look, look what you're dealing with. Imagine Noah getting this command from God. He saw the wickedness. Noah was not stupid. I mean, he understood that the world was going to pot. It was bad. And so here he, God calls him to build this ark. You know, it took him 100 years to build that ark. 100 years. And, and so God calls him to build this ark, and he's seeing all this wickedness, and God's kind of giving him a little bit of it at a time, but eventually he lets him know, I'm going to destroy the world by water. And so here's Noah in his driveway at home wailing away on this thing while the wicked world is surrounding him. And he's being influenced by it. I imagine they, like, like the Bill Cosby routine, he talks about how the neighbors came over, laughed at him and said, hey, what are you building, Noah? But imagine he's surrounded. 
He's surrounded by wickedness in a world that's just coming apart. Now, I can't imagine that, that Noah's three sons sent their family, their children, to, to, or, or Shem, Ham, and Japheth didn't, didn't go to public school in the Waukesha County area or anything like it, but the wickedness was there nonetheless, and it was influencing everything. And somehow, Noah was able to shield his family from that. He was able to teach them the principles of God and build with them the things that they needed to stay close to him. So they didn't rebel against him and say, Dad, your ark is stupid. I'm not going there. I'm going to the 7-Eleven instead. Or I'm going to the Starbucks instead. Come on, can I get an amen? I'm going someplace. I'm going to the ball game instead. No. Somehow, Noah was able to keep his family sheltered. He was able to teach them the word of God and build a relationship with them so that not only did God see them as righteous, but he said, hey, you know what? Noah and his wife is righteous, but you know, your family is too, so don't forget, bring them along. And by the way, they're wives too. Right? My goodness, do you know that, oh, probably the first 20 chapters of Genesis, you can get the whole picture, God's entire plan, everything. You could stop there and really get the understanding of what God's plan really is. So in culture right now, we have a changing role, dads, fathers, men of the church. And by the way, if you're not a father, but you're, in, you're teaching at Sunday school, you're teaching at the church, you're impacting young people coming up, you're a father. You're a father in the church. If you're done being a father, Cliff, you're a grandfather, you're not done being a father. I still need a dad. Brother Kylie, I still need a dad. 49 years old in July, I still need a dad. But this role is being changed. It's being altered. Contrary to the word of God. And what God is saying today is we need, to, we need to say, well, hold on, slow down. We're slowly slipping our way down a slope that's redefining the role of the male. Can I get, is anybody with me on this? So men are being feminized. Oh my goodness. I don't even want to start that role. I won't stop. The role in the home is changing. Levels of authority are changing. And I'm going to read something to you here today because I know it gets a little controversial. There'll be people that get prickly right here in this room. He say, oh boy, there he goes with that submission stuff again. But I'm telling you today, it's all tied in. It's extremely important. It's critical that we understand that the order that God created, the authority structure that God created, the counter to what culture is saying that God created is extremely critical that we continue to hang on to it. Now, we can malign it, we can misunderstand it, and you can take a bold stand and say, oh, I'm not listening to that stuff. Culture's changed, Brother Cordell. It's changed. God's changed a little bit. No, he has not. Amen. I want you to understand that when these roles change, it's not that the mother is doing anything wrong or that, that, that there's something that's maligned or nefarious or malicious, but God created this order for a very specific reason. Men, don't we have things built within us that drive us to certain things? We have things that God created within our DNA that says, I want to lead my home. I want to be the authority of my home. I want to make the decisions. I protect my wife. I protect my children. I shield them. It's a standard known deal in my household. When things go bad, when, when life situations happen and we get into some conflict of some kind, the, the insurance company's messed up our whole deal or we have to go in to have some conflict with some, some issue that comes up, I do not thrust my wife forward and say, honey, go take care of this for me. Absolutely not. Now, this is my household, but I protect her. I shield her. I will take, I'll say, hun, stay home. I'll go take care of this. 
I don't want you in the middle of that. I don't want you to have to take the brutality of what's out there. That's what God designed us to do. Amen. It's a subtle clapping, but some people are okay with it. You understand? It's, it, and if she wanted to, now she said, no, hon, I want to be there with you. I want to fight too. Okay, well then jump right on side with me. But the point is, is my instinct what God has built within me is to say, I don't want the brutality of this world and the cruelness of this world to be beating up on my wife. She's precious to me. She, she brings me security and safety and, and peace in my home and she's taking care of the kids and she's got her own job that she's doing and, and it's just that's so critically important to me. And you know what? So in converse, as an apostolic father and a husband, I embrace the things that she desperately needs. She wants peace. She wants security. She wants to know that we're going to be okay. She wants to know that things are taken care of, that, that the money's all right and the bills are okay and we can buy groceries next week and that I'm out there fighting a the fight and taking care of things. And I know that makes her feel good. So, so we have that understanding and we have harmony in our home. But see, the world wants to flip that around, guys. They want to neuter you, if I can be so graphic. Sit down. It's the women's movement. It's been going on since the 60s. They changed the roles. There's this lie that's been put out there that it's created inequality. Well, I will tell you this. My wife, and I know Sister Kylie, and I've grown up with her, and she's been a mom to me, and several other of the ladies in this church, Sister Matson, etc., are as equally powerful and authoritative in their role than I am in, as I am in mine. You see? It's... It's not here and here. God's given them power and power with angels and authority in their own way. There's things that they can do that she can do that I would never be able to do or want to do because instinct is built into them. God designed and created them and is also driving them to a certain way that they want to be. But the world's saying, shame on you, ladies. Shame on you, men. You should want to do the thing in the reverse. Shame on you. You've, you've beat down the women. And you've sequestered them. You've held them back and all this stuff. And, and all these ladies are going, wait a minute. I was oppressed? Oh, okay. All right. Yes, yes. I was oppressed. I'm, okay. If you say so, I'm oppressed. <laughs> Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 14. It's a long run of scripture, I apologize, but, well, no, I don't. I don't apologize. Anybody else got someplace to go right now in the next 20 minutes or so? All right. Okay, here's where it's going to get prickly for a couple of folks. Ushers, you guard those doors. Don't let them out. Ephesians chapter 5. Starting at verse 14 says this, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. My goodness, what a way to start this passage out. And arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Can I get an amen? Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Okay, hang in with me now. It's the will of the Lord we're talking about now. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, dads, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That all sounds pretty good. 
Submitting yourselves now one to another in the fear of God. All right, here we go. Prickly time. Verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Let's stop there. Is there any controversy? Am I misinterpreting anything that's written down in the black and white there? Does that match the culture that's happening out in society right now? All right, that was our test, right? It's going on out there. It's in the Word of God. Okay, now, you've heard this before, and we know that some people prickle at this. We know some people, guys, I'm talking to the men now. This, I'm, this scripture I'm, I'm laying out to the guys. It's speaking to the wives. Submit to yourselves one to another. Okay, so he starts out by saying there's an exchange. What did I just talk about just a moment ago? Our roles that we support, right? It says submit, the, the wives, submit yourself unto the husband and unto the, as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of their body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Oh boy, this riles up some folks. The world does not like this. Submit is a nasty word. It's terrible. But the word submit does not fall, mean fall down on the ground and grovel. Men, it does not mean you step on your wives when you're having a fight and you want to win. You don't turn to your wife and say, hey, you, the Bible says you got to submit to me. You got to accept my answer. No, that does not mean that you'd belittle or destroy the character of the woman. You don't beat down your spouse, right? Now, it's Father's Day. Why am I talking about all this stuff with wives? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. We have a role first. Can I just say you need to be a husband first before you're a father? Now, that's ideal. I know it doesn't happen all the time. Thank you, Brother Hickey. But it's God's word. Why? Because it's the most ideal possible way that you can go about that process. But sometimes it doesn't happen that way. And then we adjust accordingly. We got to get life back on track and do our best, right? I'm not knocking anybody. If you're a lady that's here that's had children or a man that's had children out of wedlock, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the ideal model that God created was a man meets a woman. They court, they get together, and then the offspring come. It's God's word. Now, is that what the world likes to talk about? Okay, so there's our test again, right? So it's word of God, the world, okay? I want somebody to walk out of here today and say, well, Brother Coral did show that the world was one way and the Bible's the other way. That's all I'm trying to say, okay? Now, all this submission stuff, submission, oh my goodness, that's terrible, that's counterculture, that's just awful, it just means that men should, should beat down on women. But let's go forward just a little bit now. Verse 25, husbands, Love your wives, even as, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Stop. Love your wives to the point where you're willing to die for her. That's what the counter, that's what the Passover, that's what the crisscross is on the submission thing. Remember the scripture started out, submit one to another. Wives, submit to your husbands as, as he does to Christ in the church. There's an order thing there. But husbands, you better be ready to die for her. You see the power there? Now, just that one little section talks about you ladies submitting to your husbands in that authority, but let's talk about what the guys have to do. Let's go back to 25 one more time. Husbands, love your wives, even as the Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 
that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the with washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. My goodness, this process of submitting to your husband and your husband loving you to the point where he'll sacrifice to death is likened unto the holiness and the pure perfection of the church itself. You understand how incredibly important it is, men, that you get a hold of this in your household and say, yes, there is an order that God has because it is likened to the perfection and the purity and everything that God created in the church in just that scripture presented to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. Verse 28, so ought men, now here we go again, come back around, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. So now after one lady's submit, we got two or three things where the guys you got to love and you got to love and you got to love to the point where you're going to die for her. Right? And it goes on to say in 28, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. My goodness, we're being called to love our wives as much as God loves the church. He took scourging and whips and pain and crucifixion and sacrifice. He loved the church that much. You see where the weight of what the men have in this picture far out exceeds Ladies, submit your husbands to your husbands, yourself to your husbands as they submit to Christ, right? You see what I'm saying? We carry a weight in this thing that is tremendously important. Just create order in your home and your husband is commanded to die for you if necessary. Just like Christ gave and sacrificed for himself. Now, I'm not saying guys go out and see if somebody will crucify you. But I'm saying, you're going out there. You're fighting the good fight. You're dealing with the insurance company. You're dealing with the problems. You're taking the, the heat off of your wife because she's over here creating order in your home. And you come home and it's peaceful and it's nice and you guys have a good conversation because she feels good and she didn't have to go out there and fight all these wars and battles and all this terrible stuff that we do. Why? Because we, we're supposed to be able to be willing to take the scourging and the whips. I'll tell you what, I've had some situations out there where it felt like a crucifixion sometimes. Guys at your jobs, anybody ever get crucified? Make a mistake? Verse 31 says, excuse me, verse 30 says, For we are members of his body and his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. Okay, there's another one for the guys. You're turning away from mom and dad and you're joining with her. You see, that's a sacrifice, that's a devotion that's made to the wife. And they shall be, the two shall be one flesh. That's not one beat down down here and the other one be up. It's one flesh, one. 32 says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And, the, and again, there we go again. Another part of that verse, let every one of you so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. So we have that one verse portion that said, ladies, you've got to submit yourselves to your husband because that's how the order is that he submits to Christ and so on. And then you have again and again and again and again throughout that scripture. I think I counted five, six, seven times where we're giving a specific direction and a command to love like to the endless level. 
of our wives. I charge you today. Was I perfect at this always? I'm not perfect at it now. But I've worked really, really hard at it, and I think my wife would testify that. She's not in here, so I can say that. Really. But we've got to be consciously aware of this stuff. We've got to switch it on. Can we live with intent and with excellence and decide in our hearts and our minds, you know what, we, I've got to be passionate about this. I have to be passionate because this is the structure of the home. This is a reflection of the church. We're not going to affect this world. We're not going to see our children saved unless we bring this order and this level of passion and devotion to our own wives. See, it's a reflection of how we love Christ, the way that we love our wives. Do you understand that? And if we don't love her with everything we possibly have, willing to sacrifice, be the shield for her, be perfect for her, then we're saying to God the same thing about him and his church. Boy, it's quiet in here. Better turn this up a little bit. It's our job. When we have children, we're operating, we're protecting the home, we're doing those things to keep them safe. And you've heard many of the scriptures, how we're supposed to raise up children. We're promised. If we raise them up in the way that they should go, when they're old, they'll not depart from it, right? In the book of Proverbs. We're told many times in Scripture, by the way, I was going to write a few of them down. I might have one in here yet, but many times in Scripture, we're admonished about disciplining our children. You know that there's one Scripture in the book of Proverbs that says, beat your child, they'll not die. Now hold on. Does that match what the world says? No. Oh, my goodness. When I was growing up, if you said a curse word, Whack! You know what happens when a kid says a curse word out there now? Now, Billy, is that the appropriate term to use? <laughs> Billy says, bleep, yeah, it is. And, well, Billy, now you don't get to watch TV later. Okay? The Bible talks about disciplining our children again and again and again. I'll let you go in and define that because one area that I don't know that I'm going to step into is telling you how to specifically discipline your children. But it does say you spare the rod and you spoil the child. It does also say that the child translates, and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing, but the Bible says in Proverbs, it says that the child translates that discipline into love. Do you know that it's been psychologically proved? It's been it's clinically proved that children translate when they are disciplined, when you put barriers around them and you discipline a spanking or, or something that's corporal, that they translate that into love and you don't care. And we have a whole generation of parents who just said no barriers, no boundaries. Billy, don't do that. Billy, don't do that. And then they went back to their soap operas. And you know what happened? Those kids translated that into nobody loves me. They don't care. If they care, they'd take a hold of me and say, don't do that, and, and maybe I'd get a swat on a keister, or maybe something else would happen. But see, this generation was convinced, that culture out there was convinced that it's bad. You don't beat your children. I had a lady ask me one time, do you believe in spanking your children? And I said, well, I believe it exists. She said, I don't hit my kids. That's a word they use. That's when they're little cute, redefining words. She said, I don't hit my kids. I said, I don't hit mine either. She says, well, you just said you believed in spanking. I said, well, that's not hitting. So you're trying to define hitting as I walk up to him like the old days to crack him upside the head or, you know, some of these, like, hit. Like, it's what she was trying to imply. Hit is a translation word, right? I said, no, 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 no. We have a whole different process in our house. Kyle's sitting over there. He can, he can attest to that. Maddie can't. She never got any. 
But it's scientifically proven that children translate a little bit of that corporal punishment. So did these guys get routine beating seven, eight, nine times a week? No, no. As a matter of fact, I was really, really good at it once, and then I didn't have to, and Kyle and Maddie could tell on Kyle. Uh, we would sit in church, we would sit in church, and they'd start acting up, and I'd look at them like this, and I'd go, what did that mean, Kyle? <laughs> Not good. That means first chance. If I got to two, it was time to start shaking. Generally, it was this. That's one. And then they'd be quiet. Once in a great while, we were back in the conference room, back when the coat room was a conference room, and there was a little paddling going on. Okay. But my point to all that is the culture is trying to redefine what God has given us to do. You can say that, oh, well, nowadays kids are so much this and so much that, and if we, if we spank them, we do some things, corporal punishment, whatever. And again, I'm not telling you what to do in that area. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. But we've been convinced that kids will be crippled by that, and they'll be mentally challenged, and all this kind of stuff that happens that, that will... Def- no, no, no. I, I want to submit to you that suicides amongst teenagers has gone 200 times over what it was 20 years ago. That's a stat I just read. 200% increase over just 20 years ago in teen suicides. They're distraught, they feel unloved, they're drifting and they're just floating because parents have become their friends. Apostolic dad, I'm just here to tell you, get into the word of God on this matter, especially those that are coming up. Now I know there's dads in this room that do a pretty good job at this and are watching over their kids. And by the way, I think we have really phenomenally well-behaved young people in our church. And I think you've done a fantastic job. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm off that topic. I just wanted to get a couple, couple of these cultural issues that are sneaking into the church. Any of you are welcome to come and talk to me about this if you want. If you, if you disagree with me and want to fight a little bit, that's okay. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 1 says this, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, I want to point out that it says shall depart from the faith. Okay, so what that means is, this is just average Joe Schmo floating around outside and, and then he got evil. It says in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. That means people that knew God and knew his word And we're in an environment just like this, made a decision to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I want to tell you that the world out there that's telling you to turn your house upside down and the woman should run everything and men are stupid. You ever watch a television show these days with a dad in it? They're all dolts. They're all dummies. Dad's a joke. That good, honest, Ward Cleaver type father image is gone. That's what it's made mockery of. Okay, That's that's a doctrine of devils. A doctrine that's counter to what the word of God says is a doctrine of devils. There aren't other types of doctrines out there. It's either, it's either good or it's bad in this, in this arena. I'm saying when it counters the word of God, it's not neutral. You understand? It's not like, well, we could give or take that a little bit. I'm telling you, if it's counter to the word of God, it's a doctrine of the devil. Okay? Verse 2. 
Verse 2 says, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, from God, from God hath crea- which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Okay, so this is a snapshot of a time that's coming when Paul wrote this to Timothy, saying There's gonna, some people are going to leave the church. They're going to get seduced away. What I'm saying is, is we're in an environment right now where this is happening. The culture is trying to seduce our fathers away. They're trying to destroy the home. And my saying to you today is this, is that apostolic fathers, more so than just about anything, are going to come under attack. And the further we go in life, the further we go down this this drain that that our our politics and culture and society, we're just kind of circling the drain right now as a society. Now the church is going to be a standard. The church is going to be a strong tower that's going to stand in that. We're going to be a shelter in the storm. We're going to be an island and the hurricane's going to blow by and we're going to be standing there righteous, held in place by God. But the closer you get to that shoreline, you're going to get swept off into that stuff. Do you understand? It's so critically important that we get this, but it's happening right now. Go to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul really laid it out here as he was writing to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting right at verse 1, says, This know also... That in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. What does that mean? Selfish, doing everything for them. They don't care about anything else, just me. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. What is this describing? It's describing, apostolic father, the world that you're going to be, are living in now and are going to be living in as you go forward, when you go off to your job. These types of people are going to be surrounding you. They're going to live in your neighborhood. They're going to be teaching your children at school. Is the light coming on? Are you getting it? Are you understanding? Holy mackerel, I, got, I better be at attention here. That's what I'm saying today. It's time to turn the switch on. It's time to put into your heart and say to yourself, holy cow, I got to be on guard 100% of the time. I got to become a soldier. I've got to put the armor on. I've got to be prepared because this again says having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. That's telling me that it's also people that have some element of godliness to it. You know what, what, what one of the biggest, most dangerous cultural attacks on the truth in the church is today? It's other churches who've taken the culture, who've taken the doctrine and thrown things out and morphed it. Remember that message I taught not too long ago about putting a cart under the Ark of the Covenant? That's what I'm talking about. They're making it easy. That's the bigger influence than anything. You don't see Washington, D.C. in these doors just yet. It's coming. It's coming. It's hitting some people already. You don't be a baker or a printer or anything like that out on the West Coast. You're in trouble. I'm talking about other churches surrounding us in this community who are saying, oh, those Pentecostals, you stay away from them. Oh, they're bad people. They teach false, they teach heresy and all this kind of stuff that's going on. Anybody in here hear of the uh, Apostolic Reformation movement? Look it up. Apostolics in a Reformation movement. Look up the third wave. Yeah, these aren't, these aren't words you've heard before. Look up the dominion theology that's out there right now. Dominion theology. The third wave movement. 
the new apostolic reformation. Apostolic reformation, get that. They're reforming the true church. This isn't coming from Buddha or any of these other crazy religions or anything like that. It's coming from within original apostolic movements. Started with the Charismatics, which came after the first movement when Azusa Street happened in 1900, 1906. Look it up sometime and see what's happening. The culture has reached people within the church and now they're reforming this. And they're teaching new doctrines. Men, do you see why you need to be aware? You, saw, you see why Brother Cordell's so fired up about this? We gotta be alert. We gotta become an army ready to protect our families. Take this home. And I'll get to the point of the ark here in just a moment. I'm, I'm wrapping up here in just a little bit. Is everybody okay? All right, let's turn to Psalm chapter 78. This is a psalm of a character named Asaph. I've, I've, I've read psalms from him before. He was a contemporary of David, uh, probably someone who traveled with him, someone who knew him very well, was very inclined to preach, very wise, used of God. Psalm 78, starting at verse 1, says this, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which ye have heard and known. Okay, dark sayings of old are just some of those deeper things. So you can look that terminology up, but it just means some of those deeper things, some of those mysteries that after, after these guys kind of he knew that they were going to be losing touch with the old teachings, okay, and the old law. And so he's bringing up some of these deep doctrines, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. See, it's from, from the past history. We will not hide from their, them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. Okay, let me reiterate that now for you. So what he's saying is, I'm bringing back these dark sayings of old, which we've heard and known. Our fathers told us we will not hide them from our children, okay? What I'm saying to you is, is that these deep pieces of the doctrine, these incredibly important things of teaching, whether it be how to discipline your children, how to form and mold the structure of your household, those are the things that are the deep places of God that the culture has already said, that's dark, that's bad, that's out, that's gone. This is not being taught in mainstream churches today. You understand what I'm telling you today has been long since cast out. So I'm giving you those dark places, those dark things that were, were from the past that the fathers told us. You need to tell them to your children. You need to keep all of this thing alive from cover to cover because they're out there and they're shoving pieces of it out. They're tearing it out and throwing it away. Do you understand? And, he's, and, and Asaph is telling us here in the psalm, and he says, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Verse 6 says that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. We've got to get this established and hold on to it. These ancient landmarks of doctrine and truth. And you've got to be passing it to your children. But it's not just, don't just bring them to Sunday school and say, hey, Sunday school teacher, pass all this on to my kids. You've got to be doing it on a regular basis. It's got to be about what you are as an apostolic father and frankly as an apostolic mother as well. 
Verse 8 says, and might not be as their, excuse me, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. That's talking about all of us that came out of the world, that came out of traditional faith, that came out of the things where our, our fathers were not part of church. Anybody here a first generation apostolic? I am. Right. Our fathers didn't get into this. They were already, this was already gone. These, these dark sayings of old were already gone. They were already taken out of Scripture. Let's look at Colossians 3 and 21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Okay, a simple instruction. But we get that all maligned, and, and people use it and say, well, that's see, that says you can't, you can't spank your child. You can't discipline them. It says don't provoke them to anger. Another verse of that, or another version of that, says that, don't provoke them to disparity. Don't, don't provoke them to be disheartened. Because I'm getting off the track here a little bit. I've got a little bit of time yet. When I took one of my children, and I had to discipline them, you think I was jumping for joy, and I was oh, yeah, this is awesome. no. Come on, dads, it hurts. It hurts to have to do that. But what do you do when they're crying and they're... <laughs> you take your arms and you wrap them around them and say, son, I love you. I love you, and you need to know you got to do better. Right? You love your children, but see, they pervert stuff like this. They don't understand. Don't provoke your children to, disparage, to disparity and, and to, to sadness and that you hate them. Proverbs 13 and 24 says that he that spareth the rod, I told you it was in here, he that spareth the rod hateth his son, hates, but he that loveth him chasteneth, chasteneth him betimes, means whenever you have to. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't pronounce that very well. Spare the rod, spoil the child, right? These are little principles. These old things that are just all, that's just terrible. How dare you say that? You're, you're a child beater. I'm going to report you to child services. But my point is, is that we've got to get a hold of these things. You see, Noah was commanded to build the ark, and the world was going down bad. I, sh I shared that with you. It was wicked. God was, God was grieved. It actually says in Scripture he was grieved that he even created mankind because of how wicked and nasty they were. And he decided to destroy them. But he found one righteous. He had to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but he found one righteous. So Noah built an ark. When times were bad, when it was all done, God directed him, this was all going to pot, everything was going bad, he built an ark. And he took his family inside it. You think he stopped talking to God, he stopped teaching, he stopped singing the praises? Remember the scripture I said earlier when I opened up, talking, sing the praises of the Lord and do all these things around your children, around your family? You think he stopped doing that? No, the whole time they were on the ark, I'm sure. Every day they were singing the praises of God. He was teaching his children. When he got out of the ark, after everything dried up and he's sitting up there on Mount Ararat, what did he do? Got out and he built an altar. You think his children didn't see any of this? They saw what their father did. See, he modeled it for them. Jochebed built an ark. Saved the father of the Israel nation. Moses came down and built an ark. When he knew that the people of Israel needed a savior, they needed salvation, they needed a commune with God, they needed a place where the, where the presence of God was going to be, he built an ark. And that was their home. They, they camped around where the ark was. You know that, right? All the tents were facing towards the tabernacle tent. When Jesus came and he saw the world was going right back down the same way again, he came to be a savior for us. 
I want to tell you today that he built an ark. You're sitting in it. The place where the Spirit of God dwells, where the Word is taught, where he wants to commune with us. He built an ark, and we need to be here. We need to be coming to the ark because one day those doors are going to close up for good. Do you want your children to be here? Do you want them to be in the ark? I told you earlier, there's actually a fifth ark. And I'm closing. If we can have the musicians come up. I'd like you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11, starting at verse 18. The law of Moses. Fathers, hear these words now. Deuteronomy 11 and 18 says this. Therefore, shall ye lay up these words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. It was from the previous scriptures. Next time we see it. Verse 19, And ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them, when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied in the days of your children, in the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers to give them, as the days of heaven upon the earth. Finally, Hebrews chapter 11 and 27. I'm sorry, I misquoted that. So 11 and 7, excuse me. Hebrews 11 and 7 says this, By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. You can stand with me this morning. I read that scripture. God led me to that scripture as I prepared this. And if there's any one that you got out of this entire message, that's the one I want you to take home with you. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of the things not seen. When you go home after your day of work, you might turn on the news and see some of the nasty stuff, but that's somewhere else. That's in New York, or that's in the West Coast, or that's in Europe somewhere. You hear about it, there's little whispers going on, but you're not seeing it yet. It's not in my life. It's not here in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. It's not in Mugwanago or, or Waukesha. We're, we're not seeing it. 
But God is warning us. And I'm telling you, He's impressed this upon me. He's warning us. We're not seeing it, but it's coming. Apostolic fathers, you need to be stronger than you've ever been before. Noah was moved with fear, and he prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world but also by the which he became an heir of the righteousness. I'm imploring the apostolic fathers of this church, you got to go home and you've got to create the fifth ark. Your home is the fifth ark. And you've got to take into it the righteousness of God. You can't just have it here in this ark. You can't just rely on what happens for the 45 or 50 minutes that you experience here on a Sunday or a few minutes on Wednesday night. I'm telling you, God is saying, you gotta go home and you gotta build an ark because the waters are coming. The floods are coming. The things that he said in 1 and 2 Timothy are coming. And if you're not prepared, brothers and sisters, if you're not ready, you're not gonna save your families and you probably won't save yourselves. Fathers, I'm telling you today, it's on you. It's on you to go home and build an ark. Because when God did it to Noah, and he showed him, he went home and he built an ark. And when he showed it to Moses, he came down from the mountain and he built an ark. And when Jesus came and he gave his life for us, and he, he inspired and he instilled the Holy Ghost, and he inspired Peter, he built an ark. And now it's on us. It's on us to go home and build our ark and make it strong and layer it up with pitch and every single word that exists between these books. Love your wives. Love your children. Discipline them where you're supposed to. Teach them the word of God every day. Be a pastor to your home. Be a Noah to your ark. Be a Jesus to your ark for your children and for their sakes and for your sakes. Jesus' name. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful, God, that you would even give us warning, that you would show us, Lord God, the things are to come. As this world waxes worse and worse and things get more desperate, it's so easy for us to cloud our vision, to live in comfort. Our riches and our wealth make us sleepy, Make us tired. Make us distracted, God. But Lord, in obedience to you, in obedience to you, I've put out the warning. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.